It's now time for Mike Adams 2.0 on ESPN Radio 1017 The Team. Mike will get you into the ring with the latest boxing and MMA info, the Lobos, and much more. Now, here's Mike Adams 2.0. Presented by El Mesquite Market, bringing cultures together. Good morning, sports fans. Mike Adams 2.0, ESPN Radio 101.7, the team. 2022, I said the guests were going to be incredible. In 21, the guest list was amazing. And I got a chance uh, to get a hold of the three-time world champ. His nickname's Kid Dynamite. He's inducted into the New Mexico Sports Hall of Fame. And I want to say this real quick. Bonds and Clemens should have got in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And Canastoga, Danny Romero Jr. soon to come. Champ, welcome to the show. Good morning, my man. Good morning. Wow, this is awesome. That is awesome. Thank you. I want to talk about the journey. I mean, what you've done for the sport of boxing. I've always said this. The athletes in New Mexico are special. Erlacher, Bregman, Nancy Lopez, Mike Smith, who won the Triple Crown. But what you and Johnny did was elevate, elevate the city on a national level. But I want to start where it all began because I know that's special to you, champ. Yeah. You know, um, this is about my father. You know, everything that I had succeeded in was due because of him. And uh, sorry, get a little emotional still, man. Uh, you know, it's pretty difficult because, you know, he's the one that uh, has to be talked about, even including me and Johnny because he did train Johnny. And, you know, we had a great relationship all the way around since we've been a kid from his grandparents and stuff like that. So it was always a structure of being family. You know, we were fighting for a cause, you know, yes, we're boxing kids and achieving and doing great things, but it was, it was being done for the right reasons, you know, being instilled. I, I think about it with my, my 11 year old son, you know, I just took him to school and giving them all the motivation. Sometimes I get a little too crazy with it because um, that you've known me forever. I'm yeah. the same thing, man. And and that structure works. And, and you know, from the beginning of what we started out this to be was not about being world champion or famous or any of that type of stuff. It was... Uh, it was just doing the right thing. My, my, my father wanted all his fighters to do the right thing. And he, you know, he took care of them that way. And th- that has lasted to me right now in all my life. And, and so, sorry. No, no. Sorry getting a little down on that one. But, you know, people don't understand of how hard and how much work that was put in. That was years upon years for, for a lot of us. There's, there's great fighters that came out of our, our, our state that became great community members, champions. There's Steve Hindy, there's the, uh, uh, you know, Sean, uh, all those guys. Angela Leo, Angela Sean Leo. McClain. Sorry, I was thinking yeah, about I, Sean McClain. Yeah. Look, the reason why I keep talking about the old guys is because it has helped all these younger guys like Angelo Leo, like the Sanchez brothers, like all them, the, the Perez brothers. I, you know, I'm a big fan of all these guys. Because they're, you know, they're following the path of what, how hard my father worked out here in New Mexico. 
Danny Romero Jr. is my guest. ESPN Radio 101.7, the team, the three-time world champion. Now, your dad was an integral part in your career. And, Danny, what I remember most is the decorated amateur that you were. Uh, and then when you turned pro. So, so walk me through the Olympic trials. Come. And then when your dad says, hey, we're going pro. Um, you know, from the age of about 12, because I started to be able to stop kids. <laughs> I was watching all the older guys, Ronnie Rinces, uh, you know, again, the Eloy Montanos and all those guys uh, doing Johnny. Johnny was a, was a great amateur. And, and I wanted to do what they were doing. And I would see a lot of those guys knocking people out. And, you know, I was learning what my father was teaching them to hit hard. And I would do it. I would do it. I would get in there to spar with them. I would do whatever I was uh, able to do so I can be able to perform that way. And as it got better, of course, as we got older, great things were starting to happen. And at a very young age, I, you know, I remember when I went to go fight against the Jamaicans. And I was there. I had qualified at 119 pounds. And, you know, I was there to knock somebody out. And I was a 16-year-old kid. With all these grown men, and when we went to weigh in, I remember this because Kenneth Friday was the number one American here in the United States. Number one American at 125 pounds had went and fought against the Jamaicans and got knocked out by this person, right? So when I got over there, we're in the international bout, uh, one of the coaches came and said, our 125-pounder got sick, and do you want to fight this guy? I, I was already going to fight this guy at 119. I was like, 16-year-old kid, my coach, I'm ready. Yes. Again, we were, I was ready for the world, right? And this Marshall Simpson was the number one guy from Jamaica. Had just knocked out our number one guy from the United States. And I went up weight and knocked him out in two rounds. And in, in my eyes right there, I remember specifically going, this is my, this is my Olympic year. This is it. I just beat this guy at this 125 because, they, you know, that happened in the amateurs all the time. I mean, Oscar had went to the, the world championships and got beat. You know, when we came back, we were at the training centers. We were all, everybody was there, and we were all trying to figure it out, like, hey, what did we do wrong? What's happening? And right there, when I went to the trials after that, you know, my, my style was, was, I wanted to hurt everybody because <laughs> I, I learned that, once I got him into that spot of it, it was easy, easy to win the fight. I wasn't about points. I was trying to hurt the kids so I can, so I can win. Everybody kept telling me, this is going to be great for pro, great for pro. And, of course, my father already had Primo Ramos and some other guys that I was already, you know, doing work with. And, and these guys were professional fighters, NABF champions. I mean, they were pretty tough. Ray Boom Boom Mancini was... Right down in Las Cruces, when we went down with the Burks, I remember looking at him going, wow, this is the lightweight champion of the world, and we're getting in here sparring with him. I weigh 119 pounds, and I'm, like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to let it go. I'm going to try to knock this guy out. I don't care if he's world champion or not. And, and so that really hampered my, my performance in the amateur career. I mean, I knocked a lot of guys out. But it was a lot about points, and, and, and that year was when they changed to that point system. point system. Yep. And I remember, so we got in there, and I was, you know, I talk. <laughs> hey, you know, whether I like you or not, I'm talking. So when they 
put us all up there, 119 pounds. There was all of them. There was, you know, uh, Sergio Reyes. There was all those guys. Yeah. Santana Lewis, the one that yep. I fought. So I was talking all kinds of junk to all of them. Damn, I'm going to knock all you because I was just a kid. Again, I had just turned 17. All these guys were in the military, you know, wanting to, to perform at the Olympics. And so anyway, you know, I fought Santana Lewis, and I remember that sport, that scoring was just difficult because we had to change certain things, and I was hidden going. And after one, I fought Santana Lewis and lost, and I still remember the score. It was 32 to 16. So that meant he hit me 32 times, and I only hit him 16. I remember getting off the ring, and they were doing interviews, and they were asking me, I'm like, I got hit more than 32 times. I definitely know I hit him more than 16 times. And that changed everything for me when we went forward because we had, I mean, there was Cameron Duncans, there were uh, Lou Duvas, there was, there was everybody touting us. I mean, you know, I had, uh, I, 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 you know, my parents did wonderful, you know, raising us. And I, I didn't realize how, how difficult my parents had it until I started making money. And I was very young. When I started making money, I was 17 years old, getting signing bonuses for a couple hundred grand. Who does that? You know what I mean? <laughs> the champions. Well, I remember when, when they did that, I told Cameron because I wanted some Nike shoes at the time, talking about Black Jesus up there, <laughs> Michael Jordan. We, uh, I remember him telling me, hey, right after the trials, right after the trials, hey, do you, do you want those shoes? And we went to a footlocker again. I was a 17-year-old kid, you know, seeing the world in a whole other different way. And I went and got some shoes, and he says, that all you want? I'm like, well, can I get more? And he said, you got $200,000. You could probably buy the store if you want. And I went, <laughs> wow, okay. Things are a little different now. <laughs> so that's where the professional stuff was, was different. And, and, you know, I, my dad, my dad has a great sense of humor, man. You know, and he, 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 he would always tell me that, Look, we're gonna go pro, and you're gonna do all this stuff. This is this is family money. This is this is art, <laughs> right? And of course, you know, trying to just keep me in line, keep my keep my feet on the ground, you know. And right after that Olympic year, I, I that I felt so bad because I had pushed so much of my life into that. I had been training since I was five years old. Yep. My mentor, my my everything, Ricardo Chavez, uh, gave me this, this, this thought that I had been training since I've been five years old. I've been working since I was five years old for a certain uh, aspect of what I was trying to do, whatever the uh, ability God gave me. And I found it real early, became, you know, a boxer. But what we were trying to do was much more than that. That was my, my dad's doing. He wanted to not only our great state, we have to represent our st- ourselves. I remember that was the first time with Cameron too, talking about suits and all the whole thing. Well, and and I want to get there in this journey, champ. And yes. I, and and I, so the amateur happens. Yes. You turn pro, you get the signing bonus, and every promoter in the country wanted to sign you. Yeah. And I mean everybody, King, yeah. Top Rank, Kushner, everybody. Yeah. But you had something, yeah. and it was called swagger. Yeah. And where did the swagger come from? Because I still remember your first fight. Yeah. I remember, I can go down the list, but I want to start there before we get to the world championship. I got you. I got you. You know, I always had a unique style in my life anyway. You know, I dressed a little bit different. I would wear combat boots with 
boxer shorts to school, <laughs> you know, and uh, I had a little different look of what I wanted to present myself, you know, and, and of course, you know, my father said, look, man, you got to look the best. And as I started to get around some of those other great champions, Roberta Duran, you know, Sugar Ray Leonard, Ray Boom Boom Mancini, when you seen him, he was fly, man. He was cool. And at a very young age, of course, I was trying to find my little spot of that. And, and, and again, I had no problem talking, so I was pretty good with what my communication skills were. And I just needed to put my mind in that championship mode, you know, because if you look good, you feel good. And if you feel good, you perform good. I had been told that since a young kid and didn't understand it till that point. Because in life, of course, you know, there's a lot of things that go wrong. In a boxing match, it's a split second that goes wrong that can end your life. And, and I started to get in those spots where that was very apparent because there are people risking their lives to take care of their families. And that was one huge education, not only that my, my, my father had already gone through that with some of his other champions, but this is, this is his boy. This is me and him. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, what you've seen in all that and what you see is as a man today is because of him. And that was my, my first step of, of fighting for that championship goal. You know, it had changed from being that Olympic champion. Uh, that was, I used to put it in my head, hey, that's little kid stuff now. Now we're in, we're in a man's sport. This is a dangerous sport. These, these people are going to come out here to try to hurt you because they're taking care of families. They ain't going to try to win a gold medal. They're trying to take care of their families. And that was a huge difference at that moment. And that was everything, talking about my swag, all that. You know, you had to have a look. You had to have an attitude. You had to have uh, an openness. You had to have all that. And I was trying to perfect it at that time. <laughs> Danny Romero Jr. is my guest. Show Mike Adams 2.0 on ESPN Radio, 101.7 The Team. You can hear it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Go to the Instagram, Mike Adams 2.0. Now, I want to get to the night, and it's Las Vegas, Nevada, and Francisco Tejador. And they raised the hand of Danny Romero Jr. from Albuquerque, New Mexico. You know what did it feel like, champ? You know that. I mean that journey where I where I left off, where I told you about finding that whole spot. There was a lot of things going on that were all business. You know, it was it was about now. It's about making what we have to do. What my father said that we started off right. Let's do this right. Let's go make this. Not only are we going to bring Albuquerque and New Mexico with us, there's a lot of on, my, on my shoulders that you're representing. So you got to do this well and do it right and do it with honor. And, and that was my intent all the way through. Now, I was trying to knock whatever fool was right in front of my face. I didn't care who it was. Sometimes on some of those videos now, I, I just got one not too long ago from... Uh, uh, Robert Garcia, grandpa, which is Mikey Garcia's yeah. older brother, he yeah. sent me one that when I hit uh, Bob Arum, not only did I hit him with the whole mess of Vaseline from my face and my gloves, but, you know, it was, it was uh, an excitement that was happening because we were fighting for that world championship. 
And and not only that, I was fighting a stigma of no American had won that title in that weight class for over 60 years. And I remember we were with all HBO and it was pressure. And I was only 20 years old. Right. You know, I was right. a young kid. I was just telling you about Erlacher and all these guys. And I used to go, ah, you guys are in college. I was supposed to be in college at the time. Maybe I was. It was in the College of Hard Knocks. <laughs> <laughs> I was telling them, look, this is about being world champion in, in the best possible way, right? And so that 64-year uh, stigma was, was, was heavy, heavy. And not only that, I was fighting Francisco Tejedor, which was no joke. No, no joke. No joke. Uh, you know, I, everything we practiced, everything we saw, he did. And it was that difficult. I mean, yeah, I knocked him down. And, you know, if you look at this, to be in, in all honesty, everybody got to go watch the round between five and six. When I sat down and when you're asking a question and answering your own in a fight, there's some bad things happening. <laughs> Somebody's getting getting smacked around, right? And and Tehillot was doing that to me. I mean, he had me with that long jab, and people he had very deceiving power. It would it would like snap and it would hurt. You know, it wasn't one of those that you know you'd walk off and it was like okay, these ones were hurting. Boom, right there. And he was big. I mean, yes, we're fighting twelve, but when when I would go weigh in the next day, I was anywhere between that 125 to 130 pounds, and he was bigger than me at that time. Right. So I couldn't just push him around in the fight. You know, up until that that fifth round when my father, my coach, made that one uh, brilliant, you know, uh, coaching change, told me to throw the right hand to the body instead of my left hook to the body, and and go look at that round. I hit him with the right hand on the body, and I I heard him inside. I could hear him, so I, it gave me that extra push. Well, we were already you know, going to do. I was in tremendous shape. I knew what I could do. I knew I could hold my, my punching power. Uh, two fights before that, I had just knocked out, or three fights before that, I had knocked out Hereda in the 12th round. So I knew, you know, I know what I, what I can do. And, and as we started to pick it up, I could feel him. It just turned. I felt him where he was urgent to keep his title. There's a difference. When it's urgency for it, trust me, I've been in some rounds where I feel like that, you know, and it's horrible. It's hard to concentrate. And and so anyway, as we kept going on, I kept breaking down that right side. I mean, my for my right hand, kept breaking down that 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 shot. Boom, kept hitting them, kept hitting them. And he, in the eleventh round, towards the end of that 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 round, I hit him with the three punch combination. He stepped back, and I hit him. I I felt him because he just went silent, and I was like, all right. But, you know, he was in great shape. He was a, a world champion that came over here right. to, well, to the United States, to, to Vegas. Mm -hmm. So I knew he wasn't just going to give it up. You know, in the 12th round, he could see my pop saying, Namas karmao, karmao, which was he was telling me to calm down. Yeah. And, because I, I was telling him, I'm going I'm to get him. And, it, and I'm so happy he said that because you could see it in every round that we were coming out. I was getting hit with little things. And in that final 12th round, I, I was jumping in and out. I was boxing. I was, I was trying to hurt him. And I knocked him down that last, you know, 10 seconds. And it's, it solidified all those hard years and all that work that, that, that we put in. Uh, you know, 
getting up at four o'clock in the morning to run, you know, stay training all day long. By the time you get in bed, it's 12 o'clock and you're getting up in a few more hours. That's, that's our life was like that. All the world champions are like that. And if they do anything less, they don't stay around as long as some of us. So that was instilled again from our coach and my pop. Danny Romero Jr. is my guest. ESPN Radio, 101.7 The Team. Now, I want to go back to the swag because I look at the fighters <laughs> of today. Let me tell you why I'm going back because you were doing this prior. And let me, let me explain. I remember the night you fought in Tingley Coliseum and Sparks was performing a concert for you, walking to the ring. And I look at all the fighters today, right, who have all these bands and rappers walking them to the ring. <laughs> but you were doing that in the early 90s. Think about this. Number two, the bodyguards, everybody has them now. Every fighter has bodyguards, but in the very beginning, you had bodyguards. And when you made a ring entrance, it was exorbitant like it is today, right, where they stand up and do everything. And one last thing, champ. At the time, people forget this, right? But we'll remind them today. Kenny was just a guest of Mike Adams 2.0. And Kenny goes on to have 11 years in the NBA. Erlacher's in Canton, Ohio, in the Football Hall of Fame. And here's the champ working out with with these guys. You were bringing this. What we see today, you were doing in the 90s, champ. I I get a lot of calls again just the other day. Talking about Grandpa, you know Mikey Garcia and these guys, um, because there was there was there are levels to all this, <laughs> and and there were certain spots of what we were trying to do, not only marketing and and things of trying to bring attention to what oh, or how great our sport is and how how many good people are in this spot of it. Plus, again, we got some swag, man. We got some yeah. cool people in these sports that are that are really. Uh, can change maybe some fashion, you know, all that. For me, I, I always loved that, you know? And, and again, talking about Roberto Duran telling me certain things that he said, you can beat a fighter before you even get in the ring. And, and you got to find it. Now, I had an attitude, so a lot of these fighters knew I was coming. To, I'm, I, do you remember this? I, I would do. go into... To reporters, I would be doing the same thing because I was sizing up everybody. <laughs> it's just what, what my life was at that time. And that with how I looked, you know, you look good, you feel good, baby. And, and that's how all that worked for. And we were doing this before all these things now, these Ryan Garcias and all this, even Floyd. I mean, Floyd's on different levels. Than, but we were trying to do all that. And again, you know who was a huge part of that? My pop. Like, Let's bring in some mariachis, right? You know, hey, the Sparks are from New Mexico and great singers, Lorenzo. I mean, we have all of them. There's, yeah. you know, uh, L Senior and L Junior, all of them. And and you know, we had a we had a different swag with certain of the, you know people, and so we used to come in feeling great, right, and making it horrible for those fighters, <laughs> right? And and so our fans. Loved that. Oh, hey, look, they used to tell me all night long, you know, do what you got to do and and keep it up. And so we used to put some stuff on that. I used to come out with my watches, all the whole thing, man. I, I remember. I, I remember. I, my pop was pissed when I bought one of those watches. 
<laughs> Stupid, a nine-year-old, nineteen-year-old kid. So you know, it's what it is. You know, and 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 I, I feel I was, uh, you know, a little bit of a pioneer of of, of certain things that these fighters need to do. They need to do because I felt if they were giving their hard-earned money to come out and do all that, then I got to give them what they came in to pay for. For sure. And and I, if it's looking good, speaking well, and giving a great performance, that's what I was there to do. Danny Romero Jr. is my guest, ESPN Radio 101.7, the team show Mike Adams 2.0. When I look at the fighters of that era, before I get to Harold Gray, before I get to you and Tapia in Vegas, I look at the fighters in that era. Mike Tyson, De La Hoya, Floyd was young, just yeah, coming up, yeah. right? No, he fought on the undercard here. Uh, on, yeah, uh, yeah, on, on Johnny's, Johnny's undercard, right, yeah. yeah. He was there. Eric Morales. Yeah. Barrera. Barrera. <laughs> I, Harold Gray, one of the toughest dudes, but we're going to get to Harold Gray in a minute. You talk about that night when you beat Harold. Ooh, I, look, I still. I got you, baby. You know what I'm saying? I was on a mission, man. But I, if you look at that era, James Tony, Roy yeah. Jones Jr., yeah. There were some champions, and you were part of that. Well, like I told you, you know, we were fortunate at our gym at the hideout. We would have great champions walk in, right? Yep. And they were just sitting there watching more. They'd be training, whatever it is, you know, wanting to spar with whoever. <laughs> right in the backyard, on the lid, let's go for it. And these were great world champions. Oh. Roberto Duran, James Tony. Uh, Chico like the, Corrales. Chico was my boy. We used to be yeah. talking about the pit. We used to run. He used to hate that. He was like, oh, Papa's going to tell you, oh, man. Look how great he was. Look how, you know, that Lost him pure, too soon. Yep. He was a pure, pure fighter, man. Mm-hmm. He, he he would no give. Anyway, um, so we would get in all those spots of, of things of trying to just be that great fighter, right? And trying to change a little bit of it. I get it now. You know, some of these things are what uh, I, I was a little bit of... Um, Figuring maybe these YouTube fighters stuff ain't going to work for us, right? In our sport. But we were doing that, just like you said. I, we were trying to do a whole lot of different things to elevate our sport and yep. elevate the fighters that see them. Look how good they are. Look at, you know, they're good, they're good peeps. They, and they put on great shows. Yes. So not only that's why we always fought. Uh, my father fought for the, the, the most that, you know, I can get out of this because I was giving everything uh, – that I could, and and that was um, that was something in in our in our life that I was trying to represent, and I think it came out pretty good. Danny Romero Jr. is my guest on ESPN Radio one hundred one point seven. The team. The reason I mentioned all those champions yeah. is because then that year I, I forget the year, but you're named the hardest puncher of any weight class. Yeah. Think about the champs I just mentioned. I. I, I I think I told you, or we were talking about started a little earlier. You know, when you'd walk into a top top ranked gym, or you go walk into Gleason's in New York, or the Azteca gym in in uh, L.A. I mean, everybody was there. There was the you know Julio Cesar Chavez right. and Chuday Leonard. I mean, everybody, nobody playing Roy Jones, and and at those times, like at top rank, I remember that we walked in. And everybody has their stuff, you know, and there's always a little way to either piss somebody off or get them hot. And so you can get to them, hit them with some body shots. And James Tony is my boy. So I was, it was easy to set him off. And I would walk in with that, you know, pound for pound, hardest puncher in the world. And, you know, I'd go, hey, look, 
You guys are talking all that junk. <laughs> These guys say this has happened. So do we need to get in the ring? And of course, I won't get there. You know, they're in other ways. But that attitude for everybody, for all the fighters, helped because they wanted to be that. I wanted to keep doing that. Everybody, you know? And so that's what made those champions that tough. And everybody fought everybody. See, there were only a few big names at these weight classes, right? And we were the names. And people wouldn't know who Harold Gray was, but was one of the toughest. He was ranked in the pound for pound at the time when I fought him. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But all these guys that, that people didn't know that the fighters that were fighting were tough. Oh. Were, were, could be champion uh, for a long time, not just, you know, win one, lose one. They were there. So you had to be, par- be prepared on all levels. Again, you had to have, you know, the look. Yep. You had to have the ability. And then, pues, you had to have los, los huevos. And that's what it was, you know. At that time, it wasn't like it is now. They're, it, it kind of freaks me out with all this Instagram stuff where they're going, hey, I'm going to fight you over here. When you were just talking about a scenario that happened in, in, at a fight <laughs> with me, Eric Morales, and Marco Antonio Barrera, and all them. We're all buddies. But, hey, we were about to fight fist fight at somebody else's fight. <laughs> so, you know, that's we fought. And, and, and you know, it's, it's, a, it's a change now. And, and and some of the older guys like us gotta gotta uh, gotta agree with it and and help these younger guys get to that spot where people like Mike Adams, like how you're saying, man, you remember all that stuff. Those are great, just like you just said. I was doing this before all this now, right? And to be honest, again, like Socrates, baby. Eh, no, nothing. We were trying to figure all this out. Maybe we we're gonna give some entertainment. The one thing that we did know anytime I stepped in the ring, I was going to win. And I was there to knock somebody out. I wanted to, I wanted to be exciting. I didn't just want it to, you know, score points and bounce around and do, you know, stuff like that. One, again, I was constantly told from some of these great champions that, look, you got to give everything to them because some of these people that love you, you got to, you got to give everything you got. And, that was my. That was what I did. Danny Romero Jr. is my guest. He's live in studio. It's ESPN Radio one hundred one point seven. The team. Now, let's get to Harold Gray. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave the night in Vegas for later. But I want to get to Harold Gray. And and this is what I remember. Johnny had fought either mm-hmm. the day before, or the week before, the, the week week before, before. jam packed. Yeah, outside. Yeah. It, it, at, at the old uh, Duke at Stadium. The old Dukes, yeah. The following week, jam packed in the pit. The pit, I packed the pit. And Harold Gray, that night, where I think, and you correct me if I'm wrong, champ. I knew what Harold Gray was about. Yeah. And I said this night, this is a gigantic fight, and you showcased. You got to remember, there was a lot of things that happened. You know, I made a defense, and I was having I was having problems making weight. It was a little too low, and and that was it was okay. It was a young kid, and we we're trying to you know, we we're trying to achieve. And so, I actually had a fight with uh, Willie Salazar that I had a bad injury. Uh, I mean, this whole side of my face, the whole left side of my face, got broken basically, the orbital, cheek, forehead, and um, they said my career was done, right. I was 21 years old. 
you know, I was making money. I was living up the stuff, and I was like, no, this ain't this ain't over. I'm going up. I remember that because we had we we were with Cedric Kushner at the time, and I was there to make a mark. And nobody wanted to fight this guy named Harold Gray at 115 pounds. Nobody did. He was in the uh, in the top ten of the pound for pound best, all that whole thing. And I remember talking to Cedric. We went to New York, right to his face. I said because he was his fighter, and that was the reason why we went with Cedric Kushner. Because look, yes, you know this was about getting paid, but I was trying to make history, and I was I I, I I'm I'm a fighter. I want to fight the best. Cedric Kushner had all of them. He had, you know, Harold Gray. He had Vianney uh, Bungu, Bungu, all of them. Yep. So they were all in my weights that I was going to go up. So that's why we went with them. And I told him right to his face, give me that fight. I guarantee you I'll knock him out. Plus, you got to give me a bonus. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and everybody kept saying I had the eye injury. It was, I was, they thought my career was done, you know, going to lose my sight to all that whole thing. And no. I, I I wanted to prove something. I was there to, I, I was pissed. I was pissed at myself too. I mean, I had lost a fight. I hadn't lost a fight in, you know, quite a while. And at that point, I was on that other mission of just regaining stuff of where, you know, these this life of an athlete's always up, down, up, down, right? It's crazy. And at that moment, I knew I could beat him. And, and, there was nothing that was going to stop me. I remember one time when they brought him over here. The fight day almost didn't happen. Talking about fighting, you know, hey, I'm a fighter. I was fighting anywhere. <laughs> right. And they brought him to our gym. And I remember telling uh, one of the, the PR guys at the time, I said, you better get him out of my place. He's going to get knocked out before we go in the ring. I'll, I'll go in the back and just start fighting right now. <laughs> you know, and I know he's very willing to fight. And here we go again. I was always in scenarios that I went and took the champion's titles. Right. You know, Harold Gray, he came to my, he literally was in my backyard. So I knew this guy, talking about what was this guy didn't, he was a world champ. So if he had to come to Albuquerque to whoop this kid, he's going to go because he's a world champ. And training in my, in my gym. Yeah. Disrespecting me in all levels, right? Hitting my bags, spitting on my floors. Right. Hey, that's a boxer's life. That's a, you know, you're training, you're world champ, you're, you're the stuff. And I knew that. I knew that going in. So I went out and I, I bombed everything. I, I, was, I wasn't going to leave that ring without the title. Trust me. <laughs> there would have been some problems. <laughs> I don't know. You know, we would have had to call somebody. <laughs> but, but, you know, Harold Gray was, uh, was not only an all-around boxer puncher. You know, he had, he had already beaten fighters that fought exactly like me which was Julio Barboa. Oh. I don't know if you guys yeah. remember him. Yeah. He was the other big stuff at, at those weights. And Harold Gray beat him twice, you know. And, you know, of course, if you look at that, that style was almost identical to mine. He just didn't have enough of this. You know <laughs> what I mean. <laughs> Danny Romero Jr. is my guest. ESPN 101.7, the team, Mike Adams 2.0. And when we come back, we're going to go to that night where him and Johnny Tapia grew up two miles away from each other, two to three miles. Let's get back to Mike Adams 2.0 on ESPN Radio 1017 The Team, presented by El Mesquite Market, bringing cultures together. Welcome back, Mike Adams 2.0, ESPN Radio 101.7 The Team. My guest, none other than the three-time world champion, 
Danny Romero Jr. And we're kind of on a going through the journey. Yeah. So yeah. let's let's go to the night, Las Vegas. Yeah. At this point, you and Johnny are global stars. You're of course you're stars in New Mexico. You're stars in the U.S. But now you guys have become global yeah. stars. You're headlining That's HBO. Strange. Originally, they tried to book it here, did not work out. Then it went to the Las Vegas Hilton. That didn't work out. So they put it in the Thomas and Mac. And I, I want to say this before you even start. I'm there the week prior, and Oscar De La Hoya is there. Yeah. The Dr. Dre. Yeah. The Dr. Dre is sitting in the fourth row. Mm-hmm. I mean, the stars came out that night. So kind of walk us through it, champ. Walk us through it. Well, that talking about Dre, he the reason why he was there is he sponsored a lot of our stuff, the stuff that I was on uh, with the Adidas things. And we were at that level, and and things were 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 crazy. <laughs> you know everything that I've been telling you about about the fight attitude. It you know of course this becomes a business, you know, and you got to treat it that way. And 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 a lot of people, um, some promoters, you know, like to change it up on you, and you don't don't want you to feel that way. And and that was fine because I had my pop man, and and he fought hard, and everything was good, and came out right. But. Um, you know, this is what I always say. Two of the best fighters in the world from Albuquerque, New Mexico, walked in that ring, and two of the best fighters walked out. Now, Johnny beat me. Look, boxed brilliantly. There was there was nothing that I could say. He won. You know, I was trying to, I I was trying to hurt him with every shot I threw. You know, and every every scene of my attitude that I was. Um, taught and, and and you know I was trying to I was trying to do that during that fight and I just came up short the great part of all this though is that just like you said we just grew up you know not too far from each other not only that my father trained him right you know we we've, we've known each other extremely well now of course on, on on time we're trying to kick each other's butt there's all kinds of stuff happening teams and and family members fighting but you know it's all of us because that's what New Mexicans are about. You know, we're fighting con corazón. You know, we're fighting. We, we, we are passionate about it. You know, if, uh, that, that, the thing that my father and I did not like, it, it, it separated the city a bit. And, and that's the only bad part of it. But it's, it's a sport. It was part of what was happening, you know. And so when we walked in that ring, for me, wow, you know, couldn't, couldn't stand myself. <laughs> It was, they was jumping, baby. I mean, it was live. It was talking about, uh, you know, New Mexico. <laughs> Everybody was there, you know. And and me and Johnny put on a great show. Oh. Put on a great show, you know, for the world and showed why why we are great boxers. Because see, people don't understand this. The the week before, why all that change was happening. Mike Tyson had just bitten Evander's ear. I mean, right. there was a lot of you know boxing. Crazy, you know, entertainment. It's entertainment. I mean, that part of it, Mike was pissed and whatever that, that's a whole, I have some other stories about that, but that I know personally. But, you know, it, it's, it's trying to win. You got to think about that. You got to think about, let, let me, let me rephrase that back to what our, mine and Johnny's fight were. Because Mike Tyson was, was, he knew millions of people were watching him. He was fighting Evander Holyfield and he was trying to win. So if he had to bite his ears, what happens? You know, it's a fight, baby. Everybody forgets about this. When we're in there, there ain't no scoring no points. And, you know, 
any of that. Right. You're trying to hurt them first, you know? And and so in that instance for me and Johnny, look, if you watch that whole fight, we were into it, man. Oh. It was just back, you know, I was focused. He was, you know, he was focused. He boxed brilliantly. And, you know, I, I, I didn't make the adjustments that uh, my coach wanted me to do at the time. You could hear him in the corner. I was so inset trying to knock him out. I was, I was pissed, man. <laughs> and it's just part of what it was. And, and that fight, again, two of the best fighters in the world from Albuquerque, New Mexico, that just grew up right down the street from each other, went in, and two of the best came out. Yeah, he was the winner. But we, we ended up showing how great New Mexico was to the world. For sure. Put an exclamation point on that. And we lost Johnny way too soon. Yeah. So I'm going to take you back there just real quick. I remember, you know, Caesar's Palace, you guys yeah. did the weigh-ins. I'm there. I've, I'd been there for like 10 days, and I'm running all over the place. And I get to the Thomas and Mac early. And I go into the ring. I had great seats. Um, you know, I was doing a lot of stuff yeah. back then. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I, I just sat in that arena thinking to myself, Johnny and Danny are going to walk out here, man. Mm-hmm. This is the greatest moment from an Albuquerque, New Mexico standpoint because you can't lose tonight. No, nope. no one's going to lose tonight. No. And I think what happened from there, we credit the great Bobby Foster. Yes, of course. What you and Johnny did, though, is I, I, I say this. I think Floyd and Manny did it, too. Mm-hmm. Okay. What you and Johnny were doing at that time, Floyd and Manny were doing not too long ago. Right. Two unbelievable champions who finally meet. Right. Right? At our primes, and, all the whole time. And the anticipation. You guys were in your prime, yeah. and, and Manny was coming off some yeah. tremendous stuff, but that's the level it was at. To right. kind of let the listener know right. of the level of where this was at. And when both of you came home, I said to myself, that is going to be... These two are linked forever, not just because of world titles and vicinity in your dad's role. Yeah. Um, but to me, as you know, seeing you in your first fight, seeing Johnny, uh, I saw you guys when you first started Kids, yeah. to that yeah. moment yeah. of the Thomas and Max. So I thank you, number one, oh, you. not just for entertaining, but both you and Johnny carried this state in this city. There was never a time, yeah. ever. That both of you weren't so proud to say Albuquerque, New Mexico. Man. Right. That's heavy. It's heavy, Dan. That's from us, man. This is this, for me personally. I know this is for my, for my heart. That's what I was taught. My father loved, loved this New Mexico and um, you know Albuquerque. Uh, sorry, man. I always no, get emotional with my. And that's and know. that's the thing. That's that. That's the beauty of it, Dan. That's the beauty of it, champ. Let yeah. me ask you this quickly. Greatest athlete you were ever in the presence of. Not boxer, athlete. It could be a boxer. Mm. But who's the greatest athlete when you met him, saw him, you said, wait a minute. The Black Jesus up there. Michael, Michael Jordan. Jordan. Uh, I remember Luke Longleaf. We, you know, I, we were all, that whole series, I was just telling my girl when we watched it, I was all around that. We were at some of those press conferences. When, they'd, when he would come off, we were in the back. You know, there was a lot of us that, you know, at that level, we, were, we weren't, I was nowhere near that level. Right. But I, I had whatever I had, man, my little stank of what I did, you know. So I was hanging out with some of those guys, and, and this guy was on 24-7, seven days a week, 
365 days a year, that's why he's that great. And it's hard to do that because I know that. I've done at that world-class level in my sport since I was five years old. And there was always mishaps of where I, you know, I, I was very disciplined, but you fall off. That part in Michael Jordan, I, he had that. That was, that was 24 hours, and that's how great he became. I mean, that's why he's what he is. And that, I took a lot out of it. I remember he was talking. I, I was taking it. He was talking to me. <laughs> I was there with Luke Longley and all those guys, and, and, I, and he was telling us what we were supposed to do. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. Send the goes, game. Play. Oh yeah, and you know he's looking at you, and I was like, and he said the kid dynamite. I was like, hey, yes, sir, I'll do it. He said this would, and and that in itself, when you can you can <laughs> make another athlete go uh, jump out of his seat from a different sport, that's a great athlete. Danny Romero Jr. is my guest. ESPN Radio one hundred one point seven. The team, Mike Adams two point Also want to mention this about New Mexico, the Burks down south. Yes. Austin Trout beats Cotto in the Garden. Listen. Holly Holm, Holly Holm beats Rousey in Australia, right. but was an 18-time world champion. Right. Right. Angelo Leo joins yes. the club, yes. right? Yes. And you look at guys like Pitbull Pettis who yes. fought yes. Uh, in Wembley yes. for the world title. Yes. I mean, some tough guys Listen. out of here. Listen, you know that's what we were trying to, you know, all the stuff that you were saying about how we came in with swag and trying to, uh, we did a whole other different thing than just fighting, right? Yeah. Look at him. Holly's a very gorgeous girl and represents her, her, her spot of it. You won't even think that that's a fighter, you know? And she does well for our community. Great. Angelo Leo, look at him. Yeah. You know? Trust me. In my weight class, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, that's. It's hard to do, people. These type of things of going, you don't just go get world, you know, championship titles, you know, out of the air. And for him to win with, you know, it's great. Austin, let me tell you, oh, he's gone into Mexico to go get those titles. Right. That is. <laughs> Bot Canelo's brother in Absolutely. Mexico. Yeah. Look, me and Johnny didn't do that. <laughs> you know, we were. Had, uh, it, you had know, to go to Cotto's backyard. Yes, yes. He went to New York there, man. He did his thing, man. And so that's. Everything that we were trying to portray or try to show for the next stuff, I, I think we're doing, we did okay. Oh, man. Shout out to Sean McLean oh, yeah. and his family. Uh, you know, yeah, you, you, know you know, you yeah. know, Sean. Sean, baby. Yeah. I love, you know what? My dad, he loved him, man. Sean's one of the old school guys, you know, from the Pell days, you right, know, right. a long time with ago. You, with you oh, from running down, down on, you know, on Central, up and down by Roosevelt Park and see in the early 80s. <laughs> People don't realize I was taking my son over there the other day going, look, this is where he's going, go up and down. and Tell yeah. everybody what you're doing for the community, champ. We have a children's program that we're, we're, we take care of youth uh, from everywhere. And, and, you know, it's a, it's a mentorship program. We do the boxing. Uh, right now, uh, Ricardo and I, partners, Ricardo Chavez, you know, he's been wonderful in my life, man. Uh, the only reason why I have money today is because of him, you know, and, uh, uh, learning to be this businessman, and that's what we're doing. You know, we've we've acquired some property downtown, and we're looking for some other stuff, and uh, we're working, baby. Same attitude of what it got in, just no more fighting. We'll give the attitude, but you know, we're 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 trying to do this business thing, and and that will help our youth in our community because look, I spend my money back here in the community. Yep. I give back to 
what was given back to me. And our youth is what's uh, our future. And we definitely have to put into that. And, and I'm just following what my father started many years ago. Is there a website, champ? Can people uh, get Yes, just look up Danny Romero's hideout and you get it there. Uh, numbers are area code 505-319-5074. Call us. Come and check us out. And, you know, I got to give a shout out to Henry T. During yes. that time, Henry Tafoya did amazing work L- with both you and John. You know, I had yeah, to give absolutely. a shout out to Henry because no, I know he's going to be listening. Absolutely. Henry's, you know, we love him. Yeah. You know, I've been on on international uh, levels of, of talking to reporters and all that. This is home and Henry T's home. <laughs> Isn't that true? Right. That's the truth. It's the truth. Danny, I want to say thank you. No, thank you. And, and I remember what we talked about. I'm writing a book, baby. Uh, we're going to be doing this. I'm we're excited. We're going to be doing this for the future. We're going to be doing this. And maybe we'll get some, you know, we've, we've been talking about these documentaries for many uh, years. Many and years. I, and it, it just, I'm still young, baby. Yeah. You know, we're hitting 50, but <laughs> we got a long ways to go. So let's, uh, let's we're going to win and, and do another championship status of, of, of business here, me and Ricardo Chavez, and and and, and really put the, the city on 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 the map, you know? Always always a pleasure to have the champ, Danny Romero Jr., live in studio. I want to thank Dave Behind the Glass, Joe Neal, the president, Alyssa Ryan, and Preston John Michael. You listen to Mike Adams 2.0 on ESPN Radio 101.7, The Team. Thanks for joining us for Mike Adams 2.0, presented by El Mesquite Market, bringing cultures together. Join us again next Saturday, 9 to 10, on your New Mexico-owned and operated station, ESPN Radio 101.7.